This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. At least 153 people died in a crush during Halloween celebrations in Seoul, the capital of South Korea. Another 82 were injured and the city has reportedly received thousands of missing person reports. The president, Yoon Suk-yeol, promised to thoroughly investigate the cause of the tragedy, which took place in the Itaewon district, a popular area for nightlife. The EU encouraged Russia to reverse course after it withdrew from a deal allowing grain exports from Ukrainian ports. Russia claimed that Ukrainian drones had attacked ships from its Black Sea fleet, taking part in the initiative. On Friday, Antonio Guterres, the UN's secretary-general, had urged that the agreement, which was reached in July and is due to expire next month, be extended. Elon Musk has reportedly ordered staff cuts at Twitter. The layoffs are expected to happen before employees' stock options vest on Tuesday, according to the New York Times. The sackings could mean Mr Musk avoids paying that compensation. It is unclear how many employees will get the axe, though previous reports suggested he could cull 75% of the social media firm's 7,500 staff. Two car bombs killed at least 100 people in Mogadishu, Somalia's capital, said Hassan Sheikh Mohamud, its president. The attack came after Mr Mohamud, his prime minister and other officials met to discuss combating violent extremists, in particular those of al-Shabaab, a jihadist group affiliated with al-Qaeda. No one immediately claimed responsibility for the blasts. An al-Shabaab truck bomb at the same place in 2017 killed more than 500 people. The head of Iran's Revolutionary Guards Corps, the Islamic Republic's Praetorian Body, said that Saturday would be the last day of riots and warned protesters not to go to the streets. Iranians have been demanding an end to the regime after the death in custody last month of Masa Amini, a young woman detained by the morality police. Security forces are cracking down. Hundreds have been killed. Britain's opposition Labour Party demanded an investigation into reports that Liz Truss's phone was hacked by suspected Russian agents while she was foreign secretary. The Mail on Sunday reported that a year's worth of messages, some pertaining to the war in Ukraine, was stolen and that the cyber theft was discovered during the summer's Conservative Party leadership contest, which, briefly, made her Prime Minister. The Democratic Republic of Congo ordered Rwanda's ambassador to leave within 48 hours. The expulsion is retaliation for Rwanda's alleged support of M23, a rebel group that operates in Congo's east and which Rwanda denies backing. On Saturday, M23 seized the town of Kiwanja in the province of North Kivu, about 70 kilometres from Goma, the main city in the east. And word of the week. Ikigai. Loosely, reason for being in Japanese. It has become a self-help trend in the West, to the bemusement of the Japanese. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Brazil's toxic presidential runoff. Brazilians will decide their country's fate on Sunday in the most consequential presidential runoff of recent times. 
Jair Bolsonaro, the populist far-right incumbent, has claimed, without providing evidence, that the elections might be rigged. He received 43% of votes in the first round on October 2nd, while Luis Inacio Lula da Silva, a leftist former president, came out on top with 48%. But the gap is closing. The Economist's poll tracker shows Lula on 52% and Mr. Bolsonaro on 48%. Given the margin of error, that is technically a tie. The campaign has been vicious. The candidates have accused each other of communism, Satanism, cannibalism, and pedophilia. There have been 1,700 complaints about employers coercing employees to vote their way. A politician allied with Mr. Bolsonaro threw grenades and fired a rifle at police attempting to arrest him this week. More turmoil may be coming. Taking a page from Donald Trump's playbook, Mr. Bolsonaro has suggested he may not accept defeat. America's Apathetic Young Voters On Sunday, Bernie Sanders, the octogenarian left-wing senator from Vermont, will rally young and working-class voters in Texas just over a week out from midterm elections on November 8th. While Democrats' bid to unseat Greg Abbott, Texas's Republican governor, is unlikely to succeed, some House seats are up for grabs. Turning out young voters may be key to winning them. Mr. Sanders faces an uphill battle. Young voter turnout in Texas was 41 percent in the 2020 presidential election, but turnout is much lower in midterm elections, in particular among young voters. A third of respondents aged 18 to 29 told pollsters from The Economist slash YouGov that they are paying no attention to the midterms. Fewer than half say they will definitely vote. Nearly a quarter said voting was simply too inconvenient, and yet some local officials seem intent on making it more so. This year, officials in Brazos County, home to Texas A&M, the largest university in America, with a student body of 72,000, closed the only early voting site on campus. The curtain closes on a controversial golf series. A divisive season ends on Sunday with the final event in the LIV Golf Series at the Trump National Doral Course in Miami. Soaked with Saudi money, the new competition has offered elite golfers a lighter and more lucrative schedule than the established PGA Tour. But splitting the field has diluted the competition on both circuits. It has also caused huge disharmony among the top players. Some, such as Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods, refused to take LIV loot. Others, notably Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson, decided that the moolah was too much to turn down. Over the winter, lawsuits brought by both sides are expected to progress. Three LIV-contracted players are suing the PGA Tour, accusing it of acting monopolistically, while the PGA Tour is accusing LIV of interfering with its player contracts. No one expects a truce by the time LIV returns for its second season, most likely in February, with an even bigger purse. How a Fake Egg Saved Baby Sea Turtles Every summer, Florida's beaches host a miraculous event. 
clutches of baby sea turtles emerge from their nests in unison. But predators and obstacles left by humans prevent most of the hatchlings from reaching the surf. Conservationists can protect them, but only if they know the hatching date. Until now, that has been guesswork. No one can keep watch all the time. But now, researchers have devised a gadget that predicts the right moment according to a paper published in PLOS1, a journal. TurtleSense is a movement sensor encased in a mock turtle egg. Over five nesting seasons, researchers buried these changelings in real nests. The sensor picks up the vibrations made by turtles hatching. When movement suddenly ceases, it is a signal that the newborns are about to head to the sea. Normally, they emerge together exactly two nights later. This early warning system allows conservationists to rescue more turtles while keeping beaches open for holidaymakers. Weekend Profile Li Qiang, China's Probable Next Prime Minister It is now all but certain who China's next prime minister will be. On October 23rd, when Xi Jinping walked onto a podium in Beijing's Great Hall of the People with members of his reshuffled leadership team, the man directly behind him was Li Qiang, the Communist Party chief of Shanghai. That meant the 63-year-old Mr. Li, whose promotion prospects many analysts had written off just a few months ago, had become China's highest-ranking politician after Mr. Xi. He is expected to take over from Li Keqiang, no relation, the 67-year-old current prime minister, when the legislature meets next March. The younger Mr. Li is a remarkable choice. Earlier this year, he was widely blamed by Shanghai residents for the chaotic and harsh management of a weeks-long lockdown of the city, aimed at crushing an outbreak of COVID-19. Even without the lockdown fiasco, he would have been an unlikely candidate for prime minister. The post is normally given to people who have served as a deputy PM. Li Qiang has never held a central government portfolio. But it is clear why Mr. Xi likes him. In the 2000s, when Mr. Xi was the party boss of the coastal province of Zhejiang, Li Qiang was his chief of staff. Enforcing strict lockdown measures in Shanghai may have further endeared him to China's leader, who has just secured a norm-breaking third term as the party's general secretary and commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Mr. Xi has been a keen advocate of a, quote, zero-COVID approach to crushing the virus. Mr. Li is liked by many businessmen, but foreign investors were spooked by the reshuffle and dumped Chinese shares. They worried that Mr. Xi had surrounded himself with yes-men, who would do little to curb his dirigist instincts. In truth, Mr. Xi's power has long been subject to little restraint from colleagues. The promotion of Mr. Li and other loyalists may not do much more to embolden him. This week's quiz winners. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Tetsuyuki Mariyama, Ito, Japan. North America, William Gibson, Weston, Connecticut, America. Central and South America, Alvaro Tomas, Panama City, Panama. Europe, Borislav Stefanov, Sofia, Bulgaria. Africa, 
Killian Christ, Nairobi, Kenya. Oceania, Rob Walton, Wainui, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of The Chronicles of Narnia, Isaiah Berlin, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Esther Williams, and Billy Joel. The theme is books of the Bible. Chronicles, Isaiah, Ruth, Esther, and Joel. Come back on Monday for the beginning of next week's edition and your chance to win. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Jonas Salk. The reward for work well done is the opportunity to do more. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.